Bruce Heyman served as the United States Ambassador to Canada under President Barack Obama from 2014 until 2017. He appears regularly on CBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg, CTV, CNBC, and other media outlets. As an expert on trade and bilateral issues, Bruce lives in Chicago with his wife and co-author Vicki Heyman. Vicki was an American cultural envoy to Canada, leading cross-border conversations and programs related to the arts, social innovation, and youth engagement. She is on the board of the Council for Canadian-American Relations, Chicago Media Project, and the International Advisory Board of C2 Montreal. Vicky also lives in Chicago, where she and Bruce are co-founders of Uncharted LLC. We met in Montreal for this Bibliophile Podcast Conversation. Relationships between countries are no different than between people. How so? Everything in my mind is about the human connection and relationships. This book is a book about relationships, relationships between countries, but the people that make those countries up, our relationship with those, and I think our relationships with, with each other. And when we talk about relationships, let's use a marital relationship, for, for example. In a good marital relationship, you know when to lead, you know when to follow, you know when to push, you know when to pull. No, not trust. always. You don't always know that. Well, then, then maybe that marriage is not always as solid <laughs> as you might expect. You hope in a good marriage you would okay. know that. And in addition to that, I think that there is empathy, there's trust, there's respect, there's understanding. So yes, those are the qualities I think that are essential in a good relationship between countries. Okay. So that's the analogy. Why did you write a book about our country's friendship? So... You know, when you have something that is so incredibly valuable and then you think it's threatened, um, you know, the big yellow taxi, the song, you don't know what you got till it's gone, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. Canadian composer? Yes. and But, you know, the reality is that we had no anticipation that we were going to write a book. We left on January 20th, 2017. We with felt a lot of that, great stories. With a lot of great stories. And a lot but, to think about and talk about. But, but the U.S.-Canada relationship was in damn good shape the day we left. <laughs> well, the president and the prime minister, and we signed a lot of bilateral and multilateral deals together. We had respect for each other, admiration at the highest levels of our two governments, and I would tell you people were enthusiastically traveling to each country and purchasing each other's merchandise and making things together and thinking about what was possible. And in very short period of time, that came under threat. And that came under threat from Donald Trump. And we watched it domestically at home with horror, but more importantly for us, we had just left Canada and invested, you know, time and effort and energy and we left believing what we said that the U.S.-Canada relationship is amongst the most important in the world and it we believed it enduring 
and it was under attack. It was under attack by the president. But it's such a good relationship and of long standing. So many of us Canadians are friends or relatives of Americans. Right. Trump may be a big jerk, but he's not big enough to wreck this relationship. So how's your book going to doesn't it's, even need to be fixed, I don't think. So when you operate at a time where damage is being done, it's the time where you have to tell truth to lies. It's a time where you have to shed light on darkness. It's a time where you need to stand up when something wrong is taking place and not be a bystander and just hoping it'll just be okay. Because there are too many instances in history where too many people have sat on the sidelines and then said, how did we get into this place? And I don't want any personal regrets. And the two of us talked about that. But the book itself is a love story. And so for people who really want to get an appreciation, I think there are two audiences here, primary audiences. Everywhere else, there's a third audience, but two primary audiences. Mm -hmm. To the Canadians, a vision and view from uh, an American team who who represented the United States of America and traveled your most amazing country Mm -hmm. from what you call coast to coast to coast. And our perspective of it and how much we actually adore. the the people that we met along the way. And the people we met along the way. And those stories of those people. And the second audience are the Americans, who tend to take a lot of things for granted. <laughs> and when I, we run into Canadians, either during our tenure or now, people sit down and say, Americans don't even fully appreciate who we are or what we do up here. Mm. Well, and we'll darn it, to... that's what we're trying to do. You're right. The Canadians will observe often that Americans are kind of... Uh, self-focused. Self-focused. <laughs> they really don't know much about what's going on outside of their own borders. And there's also different parts to the American population. There's super well-educated and there's not so well So remember, and this is hard for some people to fully appreciate, but let me walk through it. Canada, while being the second largest landmass country in the world with 37 million people, is generally an urban country. Mm -hmm. Most of your population live in urban centers. The U.S. is a mix. It is urban and rural. We are a much more rural country than Canada. And the perspectives coming out of rural America are very different than what we're seeing in our urban centers. And this is a large answer as to this divide that is taking place. But that's only one aspect of the divide. There are others. There are economic frustrations, etc., but the experience with people who are very different from oneself happens in urban centers more than rural centers and rural areas. And so I think we have a fairly well-educated population, but it doesn't seem to focus on international affairs as much as I think American people should. And Americans are in a, in a, a very um, precarious time. Now, many citizens of our country are kind of don't recognize the leadership at the top, and they don't think that that's the way that, that they would like their country to be represented. Yet, there's so much happening domestically on the domestic front that oftentimes people don't think about our friends across the, 
yeah. across the world. They just worry about their own backyard, their own health care, you know, how their kids are going to be educated. Are they going to have to work three jobs to take care of their families? And they're very, uh, they're looking down at preserving their lives rather than looking out and thinking, oh my goodness, it's not only here, but it's outside of our country that we are creating these ripples and these damages as well. So we want people to say to Americans, look out. Don't mm. just look down. Meet these incredible people, from fishermen to farmers to artists to RCMP officers to restaurateurs to prime ministers to Supreme Court justices. This is our friend. Mm. These are our neighbors. These are the incredible people that we can lock arms with and have always locked arms with and that we need to embrace. And then I think, you know, it's not just the people, but it's the land. And there's a big drumbeat in this book, and we talk a lot about the preservation of the land and the indigenous knowledge that we gained on our journey and how important it is to think about living in this you know, connected world, human con humanly connected, but also connected by the environment, the air we breathe, the water that we share. So there are a lot of themes in this book. It's not just only you know, um, save us from this administration. Yes, there is some of that in the book, but there are themes of humanity, themes of environment, themes of how do you deepen relationships, how do you build connectivity between people, and there's also the theme of Tikkun Olam, Jewish Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam, repairing the world, coming together. Different people within the Jewish community have different interpretations of that, but our interpretation is what are we doing as, as humans to help repair the world? Um, and people say, well, what do you mean repair the world? Well, man has ways of doing things that actually damage either each other, communities, or the world. And it's not the natural course of things, but man also has the chance to repair all of those things. And I think we're in a point in time where humanity is creating a significant amount of damage to our planet, whether it's plastics in the ocean or carbon in the air or, you know, the damage that we're doing to relationships and how we're doing it. And so we think of this as a time where... Let's come together and do some repairing. Tikkun Olam really also is, is about charity. And I am my brother's keeper. And caring for the next person as though they're part of your family. And so Tikkun Olam is part of the Jewish teaching. And that's something that I think is passed down from generation to generation. Listen, we don't have the corner on that in Judaism. There are yeah. many religions yeah. that kind is at the center. A right. keystone. But it's given us a, a name. And it is... You know, translated in modern times as repairing the world, but it's really, you know, nurturing and taking care of each other and recognizing that each person has a value and creating a better future and a better community together. And um, you're talking about obviously across borders across, as well. Yes, community meaning your your family, your community you, you live in, your country, and your world. Because that's one of the things that's disturbing about Trump. It's he just cares about jobs in the United States. That's basically it. Well, I, I think, I think, he, I think he, he cares about himself first, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. his family second, and anything that helps himself and his family. Yeah. And then he cares about, I think, a We're corner, a right. corner yeah. in America that he has a following that I think he has given, in many senses, false promises to, yeah. of a world that he envisions that looks like 1975 economy, 
and he is disrupting things in a way. Sure, a lot of Americans wanted things disrupted a bit the way things were done, but we're not. I don't want to go backwards. You know, America's always about you know the going west, thinking the future, thinking you know technology, thinking of innovation, thinking of future. Donald Trump's taking us backwards, xenophobic, in, in internally focused. Let's put people back in coal mines. It Let's, started with the you know, mantra, it's just, make America great again. Backwards. Yeah, backwards. Backwards. Yeah. backwards. Not, not make America not, better. Right, not right. forward together. Right. Which is how we see the world. Bruce made his money at Goldman Sachs. I did. And uh, Mnuchin was on the board of, of Goldman Sachs. His dad was a senior partner. I don't think he was ever on the board at Goldman. And uh, Mnuchin, our Treasury Secretary. Yeah. So there's there's the two Mnuchins, uh, but the Mnuchin, I think you may be referring to as our Treasury Secretary, he was there for a short stint and uh, went on to do other things. So he wasn't a long-termer at Goldman, but his dad was. His dad was. Yeah, I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is you could be perceived as part of the one percent. I'm fortunate to have to have had a good education and a good opportunity on Wall Street to make money, and um, I, I'm I'm fortunate to have been in a country that is um, is a democracy and, and a capitalist country. Uh, I also in that fortune also feel like I have responsibility to give back. And so with that is, you know, it's, it's like a lot of things with, with, and, and I view, I'm a lucky, lucky person, but with that luck, I think comes responsibility. And that luck is either title or that luck is either with financial resources or that's luck of having a great family that I have and a good partner in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about, what can I do as an individual to leave the world in a better place? And what can I do to help individuals all along my journey? So when I was at Goldman Sachs and I worked in a department where I hired and mentored and took care of the, you know, really worked hard to push diversity, really worked hard in recruiting to push mentoring the youngest people, really worked hard to giving back to the community. Yeah. Um, and I was very proud of the work that we did, but I was also very fortunate to have had some financial success along the way. And no one's heads rolled because of the fact that junk bonds were sold to lots of Americans who then lost their houses as a result. Of Disturbs that. me greatly. It was not something that I participated in directly. Um, but look, I think Wall Street across the board holds responsibility for these, you know, these but outcomes. But no one was held accountable, were they? Um, well, it turns out there were some people that were held accountable, but they were much lower on the totem pole and in, in far reaches of, of where we, of the financial service industry. The reality is I don't think our legal system and structures were such that actually people in those in, in many of those places actually broke the law. They did harm. They yeah. did there's that, no I doubt they the did problem. harm. 
There's a kind of and a moral so, problem. There's exactly, but you can't really put, throw them in jail for being immoral. Exactly. So I knew people who were doing things that they were making more money, and I knew those people made even more and more money as a result of selling products that they believe fit their clientele, and their clientele fit. They think it fit them, but at the end of the day, when the, you know, when the whole thing came tumbling down that I don't believe many of those people that, and none of the people that I work with directly, I felt broke the law because I wouldn't associate myself with any of those people. Yeah. But to tell you that, that that was upsetting and disturbing would be the largest understatement I've ever had. And just think of me though, being the guy who was supporting Barack Obama at a time when Wall Street and my firm were under attack by the SEC for the behaviors that were taking place. And I'm supporting the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. And I'm a believer that the path that the President was taking, even though I worked at the firm, and even though the firm may, was accused of things that were happening, that, you know, I lived in this world of, of, of balance. And yes, that's true, but not everybody who works at an institution is yes. culpable if an institution does yeah. something wrong. Yeah. And we yeah. see that here in Canada, we see that around the world, that there are people within institutions that do things wrong, but the whole place isn't bad. Yeah. And those people should be held accountable, they should lose their job, they should pay a fine, they should go to jail where it's appropriate, where they break the law. Um, but, you know, it's to say all of Wall Street is bad, yeah. well, we can't function without Wall Street. I mean, it's, yeah. The, yeah. it's the flow of capital. Vicky, mm -hmm. what is a hive model? Okay, hmm. let's talk about that. As you read about in the book, um, I took a very um, keen interest in beekeeping and, um, and the pollinator, saving the pollinators, and this process of um, using our yard and our garden and um, this extraordinary place we lived in Ottawa as a wildlife refuge and a place to learn. That beekeeping process was new to me and um, the process of creating community through a structure was not new. But it was it's really a metaphor for the way the hive model was named for this kind of project in a sense I gave it a moniker of hive based on this project of creating hives on the um, on the grounds of the of Lornado, but the idea is when you look at a hive, the cellular structure of a hive is about collective energy and collective work. It's about you know an organic process where cell by cell a structure grows, people support each other and kind of reach out in different ways and different forms to the collective energy of the whole. And so the way in which I operated in, in Canada and the way I operated when I led efforts for the Obama campaign was to create a hive, a collection of individuals who are bound together by a greater idea. The idea of electing Barack Obama for president, changing our country, the idea of sustainability, the idea of art as a driver for dialogue and change. Mm. Those would be the kind of the ideas in Canada and, and going into, into spaces, whether it be a city or um, a, a community within a city across Canada, I'm going to use Canada as an example here, and to, cr and to find individuals who are passionate about arts, who are passionate about social innovation, who are passionate about youth, and use their individual networks to come together around this greater idea of um, our collective good through these dialogues that we're having. So 
in the campaign model, the hive model would be to go to individuals, maybe somebody who you know worked on the north side of the city, someone who were in the south, a woman, a man, someone in business, someone in art, and get them to create their own collective communities to come together to this greater hive. So the way I organized in Canada and kind of describe in the book is that we created a hive model using culture. Mm-hmm. So every city I, I went to, starting in Ottawa, I went into every cultural you know, organization and space I could to find people who cared about art and culture the way I did. It could be a business community because business leaders care about art and culture. It could be a museum. It could be a university. All in different demographics but the idea of inviting them into this greater dialogue. And then through their relationships, build relationships in other cities and other spaces and places across Canada. Till at the end, you have not just one little hive in Ottawa of people that care about art and culture and dialogue, but now you have this collective huge hive that stretches all the way across your country mm-hmm. where this collective energy of talking about identity, social justice, environment, race, gender, equity, like the really big ideas, not necessarily the policy proposals that are on the table or the things that the State Department in a true diplomatic sense are working on, but the human connection, the human dialogue that people remember and captures their heart. So I think part of the excitement and the legacy of building a hive is that that hive's kind of permanent. It's not a transactional situation where you're just going to come up with a policy or a program. It wins or it fails. It loses. We get a new president. We get you know have an old president or, or prime minister. It's about relationships. It goes back to the book, and those relationships are are pretty well cemented when they're cemented by authentic action and authentic ideas. So that's really the idea of the hive. And when you think about um, the way in which a hive looks and the way hives take on different shapes. And then, you know, you might have individual hives within a larger apiary. So mm. it's really just a way for people to visualize the metaphor of reaching out to various individuals and communities around a big idea for a collective good. And what happens if the queen bee dies? Well, <laughs> you got to either get a new queen who cares about building a hive or hopefully the people that are part did, of the original really, hive carry on. Did that really it's happen? Absolutely. Because at the very true. end of the book, the, the yes. queen bee, what, she just dies or takes off? Or she took off. off. We don't know. We, we left and they said she left too. Because when we left, the, house, the queen was there and the queen came and like, made this incredible bounty of honey. Maybe that was an Obama queen bee. <laughs> she, right. she, you know, the Trump people didn't want any Obama team left and so maybe the queen ran she away. got the she word. She saw the she writing on the, the wall. And right. Got did that, the, did that kind of get got the memo from the, uh, the State Department. You got to leave now. You're an Obama queen. <laughs> you can read about that queen. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean the the experience of beekeeping and the way that whole thing started was pretty extraordinary. Yeah, you bumped into someone from Kentville, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, as as part of the hive, you know, in, in creating community, I had an opportunity to get to know um, Liz Dowdswell who is a lieutenant governor in uh, Ontario. And she became a dear, dear friend. And I was invited as part of a group of female leaders to go to KI, to Northern uh, mm-hmm. First Nations community, and became very close friends with Liz and, and Kathleen Wynne went, and Sophie the Countess of Wessex was on the trip, and a number of other 
women leaders from different industries and from different spaces. I was the only American. They let an American on. Huh? American on the on the mm -hmm. trip. There's only about a dozen of us, and um, you know we learned that was really my very first opportunity to learn about Indigenous life and to visit Indigenous people and spent time spent the night in KI, and upon return. That learning journey continued, and Liz had invited me to an, um, a discussion about urban indigenous youth. And I was lucky enough to be seated next to a man named Ted Norris, who's from Kentville, who was a his side his side um, hobby was being a beekeeper, but he was very involved in indigenous affairs as an mm -hmm. advocate. Mm -hmm. And he next and next to me, and I saw next to me he had a couple jars of Zen bee honey. I'm like, well, what's that? And he said, Well, I'm a beekeeper. Light bulb, light bulb. It wasn't bulb. just a metaphor here. It was, it was the, the real, real thing. thing. He, was real. he was the real like, beekeeper. Light bulb, light bulb. Oh my gosh. And this I thought about, I, I visited the White House Gardens. They had recently, Mrs. Obama had recently installed a um, apiary there. Yeah. And I started on the garden project and I thought, oh boy, we got a live one here. And I said to Ted, if I can arrange this, would you be our um, mentor? Would you teach me? Would you consider becoming our beekeeper? And could you put together a little proposal? but what it would cost to start the hives and how we would structure it. And when I went to the embassy, I'm like, okay, I've got a grand idea. We're going to become um, a beekeeping residence. They kind of looked at me like, oh boy. Exactly. Sure enough, we got in the right door and Ted and Donna, his wife, who's his partner, became our teachers. And from there, we really learned the art of beekeeping. But it was so interesting because it was not only beekeeping, but you know, you talked to Tiantets a lot about indigenous plants, the kinds of things that we plant around the uh, hives to make them prosper. Changes the flavor of the honey. Yeah. yeah. Different flowers, yeah. different plantings, and you know, you, you just have a whole new appreciation of, of what that's all yeah. about. Yeah, so that, that whole idea of transfer of knowledge, and particularly the age-old transfer of indigenous knowledge, was something that was so beautiful, is so beautiful, and was new to us, and we have really lacked onto and it wasn't like it was an idea we got to experience it yeah, with Ted yeah. which was really cool speaking of transmitting knowledge this podcast is all about books mm -hmm. I wonder if I could get you to just comment on the role of the political book what what role is this playing, your book playing? So let, let's run through a couple couple of things. First of all, it marks a point in time. Historically. Historically. Very important. Time. Talks about this point in time between two prime ministers and the transition from a president to a new president. Two prime ministers, two presidents in a very compacted period. In, in a very unusual way. And then this Historic experience in both and countries. What, you, what we experience through our eyes diplomatically, politically, economically, culturally, and what was going on in Canada so and the U.S. at this time. Historic. That historic. role is, yeah, it's, it's, to, it's to record right. your view of history. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. The second is, um, is about the importance of a relationship. And I think it's a marker. So this is, and, would you call this an opinion or a, what, what is this? Well, this book is a memoir, so it isn't. It's our opinion. I mean, it's our the way but we see facts. In terms of the, the role of this political book, it's to get your view of the world out there. Yeah, is, is I, it, is I would. It's a mechanism but, for you to communicate, but but, but well, not for us. But it's also an invitation. I would say it's a mechanism, but an invitation. 
it's an invitation for the reader to to hear our story the way we tell our story is it, this is not a rant this mm -hmm. is not a political hard policy book this is a story about relationships it's a charming story yeah and it's an invitation to the reader to hear these stories to absorb these stories and to take away what resonates with them whether that is learning more about Canada whether it's that you know we're learning more about the, the two prime ministers in the history whether it's like being on the rant or whether it's learning about beekeeping or whether yeah. it's learning about how to navigate a dual uh, a relationship between partners Bruce yeah. and me or as know. a guide for future ambassadors on different ways yeah. of doing this because I would say many of those ways are pretty antiquated and built into thinking of a structure of, you know, when we went to, you know, the State Department and began this journey and you were the ambassador and whoever you're coming with was the other. No formal or even informal role and just lots of rules of you can't do this and you can't do that. And, you know, as Vicky would joke, she used to say, well, the State the Department no. is the land of no. <laughs> you know, we used to say, can I? And it would be no, and but I, we haven't even told you what it is we, yet. We, but it starts we, with the basis of no. we did tell no. people the very first day that we live in the land of, of land yes. Of yes. And we told but, them that. But can I say one other thing in that it is also a tome on the importance of art and culture in terms yeah. of driving relationships between countries and between people. Using it's, art as a mechanism. Using art as a mechanism. And there's some really beautiful, very important stories about how that actually does work. Mm -hmm. And a case, I think in a way, a case for support of well, why say, of the arts. It's a way to, to mm -hmm. open up dialogue. Yeah. As opposed to putting, it, putting together a policy paper, mm -hmm. you're inviting American artists up here to share and to push the boundaries and to... Mm -hmm. I would say it's also a way for you to get onto podcasts. Good. And <laughs> Case in point right here today. Yeah. This is and it. Yeah, well, we never would have been together without yeah. the book, right? <laughs> would you say that that's one of the roles that this book is would, playing for I you? I would love I, to make that even a deeper, a deeper road. You know, I think when we started out this process of writing, we were such newbies we are learned like the same way i learned to be a beekeeper man i learned to do how i'm mm. learning to do books you learn by doing <laughs> learn right? by doing yeah and i think that you know i love the way um podcasts and and you know you have television you have radio you have podcasts all these forms of of media are converging and i think people have never listened more closely mm. right now in this time and age people are they're watching selectively, but they are listening like crazy. I mean, whether they're walking on the lakefront or they're doing their housekeeping chores. And I think long-form journalism in today's world is increasing. It's an increasingly big space mm -hmm. and a really important space because when you get into the short-term kind of it's just something so, around media, it, you yeah, just, your head explodes. It's trivial, this, yeah. the short right. bite. It's, this is quite refreshing, I find, anyways. Yeah. We can really dig, dig deep. Again, and so I think we'd love to do more and more of that. And the other idea we've had too is Bruce and I are both fairly active on social media. In we're getting so many people that are talking to us about our book, whether directly or through social media, is to creating a forum where Americans and Canadians can kind of through through this platform can talk to each other and see kind of what the other is thinking out loud through a common 
you know, a common connector. Yeah. And um, trying to think about ways in which we might formalize that more. Canadians are defined by generosity of spirit and a welcoming attitude. That's, a, that's your generalization of Canadians. Our experience. Yeah. We, and you know, when I read that, I thought, and I've done quite a bit of traveling in the States, and I feel exactly the same way about Americans. Good. I do. It's like, especially when we, because we go to a lot of, you know, roadside restaurants and, and such, and you'll have these lovely older waitresses come up to you, and they treat you like you're Your their grandson. <laughs> right. it's, it's, it really is striking. You don't get, I don't get that even here in Canada. Well, it depends where in Canada you are. You go to Colville Bay and meet, meet Johnny. He'll treat you really Or nice. I'm telling this you what. This pretty good. I, or Don or, or you go up to Newfoundland, yeah. and I sit there, and first of all, yeah. all the waitresses there kept saying, here you are, my love, and my love, <laughs> <darling>. my darling. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought I was really so special happy. there. Yeah, and so then I realized they were saying my love and my darling <laughs> to everybody in the restaurant. So, you know, I, 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 I would say... Um, it w- I would love to see that competition of who's nicer and more generous <laughs> and kind. This is a this would be a good competition to have in, in the year ahead. You also say that we're proud, but we don't quite show it in the same way that Americans might exhibit their pride. I think that's. So I true. think Americans wear it on their sleeve every day. Yeah. Americans are good at back at back back padding. Themselves. Yeah, them, themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're Batman. confident and brash and yeah. like, in general. But, but look, right. look that's, that. you know, look, we began from different beginnings. We were the rebellious child. And right. so, you know, we, we totally went off yeah. and it's just, just, just different. Yeah. And uh, there's a great, a beautiful humility among Canadians. I mean, they, they know that their country is among the best in the world. In their mind, it is the best in the world. And they're so proud of their land. They're proud of their customs. They're proud of their history, individual histories and collective history. But they don't boast about it. They just know, like, we got it. Like, this is really good. We don't like to tell people it's good because we know it's really good. Mm. Americans have that way of, like, we know we've got it good. We know we have a great country. But we're very self-critical. And we're self-congratulatory. Like, we don't care to show our warts. We'll tell the whole world about our warts. But we also are the first to step in and be self-congratulatory. So it's just, it's kind of just a, an emotional communication difference. Mm. And I'm, we had this joke in the book and we still the, this. The story about, where, where somebody, you know, I was sitting there talking and probably in my more aggressive Bing. form. And somebody says, oh, you're so American. And I said, well. Thank you very much. <laughs> and Vicky's kicking me as Bruce. That's not a compliment. That is cut, not a compliment. <laughs> so you know, I think it took us a while. Like as typical Americans, we came to Canada thinking, "Well, they're our best friend. They just love us, mm-hmm. and we just love them. Like everything's great. What could possibly what go wrong happen? with that? Oh, we're gonna arrive. It's like the place and and." I would say, for the most part, that's absolutely how we were greeted. Mm-hmm. But as you'll see in the book, you know, politically, when we arrived in Canada, there was some bump and run going on. So we were kind of surprised by that initially. But you know, when we 
um, kind of absorbed it and we got out onto the road and we decided, you know what, things are not always 100% here in Ottawa. There's a big old country out there and right. we're going to represent America to all of Canada. Yeah. And that's when... It's a gift, you know. It's, it's a there's call. a lot of unusual gifts that come your way when you think in life you hit an impediment or a roadblock or some surprise and you have to, instead of going straight, you have to make a left or a right. And all of a sudden you find yourself, wow, had I not hit that impediment, mm-hmm. I never would yep. have experienced this. Yep. And some part of that, you know, bump and run of Keystone Pipeline when we first arrived enabled and encouraged us to go out and be a part of this broad, beautiful Filled country. Our hive all and, across Canada. You know, as you say here in Canada, coast to coast to coast. Mm-hmm. And so we did. We went coast to coast to coast and did, you know, but by the end, every province and every territory, and many of them multiple, multiple times over. We lived here for three years, and we were, no exaggeration, were on the road probably 15 to 16 months of that time. So mm. it wasn't like we just holed up in Ottawa. We really got out, and we traveled individually. We traveled as a team, and um, it was extraordinary to have that experience. Yeah. And you bought a lot of... Tim Hortons, Tim Bits. Yeah. Yeah. Which And I ate a lot of other food as well along the way, which was another gift I brought home from from Canada. I got fifteen pounds. Yeah. I, I really thought I look, look I thought, oh, I'm really? working to go the other way now. But I mean, look, I I was just gonna blame the launderer who somehow shrunk all my clothes. But uh, Vic you again convinced me that the launderer was the same laundry we've had <laughs> all along. So, but speaking of food, yes, the book, from my viewpoint, it was kind of motherhood. There's a lot of motherhood in this book. What do you okay. mean? By what that? do you mean? Well, I mean, of course, we've got to be good friends. We've got to cultivate our friendship, like nurturing and like raw raw stuff. You mean? No, just no. just the fact that this is pretty obvious what we have. But but fact is, as you've said. These kind of insidious undercurrent of look at you trying to, trying to be so diplomatic here. <laughs> this is great. You're well, wearing off on this diplomacy, <laughs> this art of diplomacy you have. Here. Well, yeah, like as I say, I thought the book was there was a lot of motherhood in it. Okay, but and I thought it was a bit saccharine too. But then you came up with the line from a woman who runs a Mexican restaurant who said. What the fuck do you do for a living? <laughs> and I really like the way you, you, you kind of came through with that. That's kind of, uh, that salted out the saccharine. Good. Yeah. And, and as people will read it, and you'll get a good chuckle of, of that conversation that took place. But this little Mexican, and it is a tiny dive. <laughs> and, but it is so good and so delicious and so special. Ola Cochina in in Ottawa. Have you which, been there, uh, Nigel? Have you no, that was the thing. You I, know I, what? I, I've lived in Ottawa for okay. years, and I thought, oh, I've never heard of this. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Wait, but you know, the uh, well, it's on Barrett Street, but it's behind. You know, you'll find it. You got to go out and look for it. But the bottom line is. That it's, uh, it's, you know, it's like everything else in Canada. There are little treasures everywhere. You know, that was just an example of an interaction we had, but uh, it was a little treasure. But I think we're we're unlikely, like, we're not typical diplomats. Like, when Donna said that, like, 
You know, I come in in jeans. I had a security yeah. detail, but they were sitting off on the yeah. side. Yeah. I come in in jeans and a scruffy face. It's the weekend, and like, yeah. like and who the hell yeah, 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 for you? And, and I'm like, ah, and that, you know, I was the ambassador. Oh yeah, sure yeah, you right. are. Yeah, bullshit. But then you gave her the, the beautiful car. <laughs> exactly. Uh oh. <laughs> I think what we wanted to do was we wanted to make these higher lofty ideas present. But we wanted to shake the reader into the into the notion that this is life. These are people. This is what it's about. This is who we are. Like we didn't want it to feel like an ideology of goodness. Like we're just meant to be together. And this disruptor came in. We wanted to say that we are who we are because of the people that live in our countries that connect us. And you know what? It's not just the people that connect us, but we are family, man, across border, yeah. and we use yeah. that example in the book to show that it's not just an idea that we're family. We yeah. are truly family. Yeah, we are family no matter what. Yeah. There are lots of hugs in this book and love for Justin Trudeau. And Sophie. And Sophie. <laughs> um, it's filled with uh, with pictures of hugs and a beautiful friendship. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I will tell you, it, it's genuine. But I don't believe we would have had that same relationship had we not been kind of redirected by the first... The chilly. The chill. Yeah. Right? We got the warmth because yeah. the chill... And, you know, the reality is that we had a lot of bandwidth to do a lot of other things. Yeah. And the third party leader had a lot of bandwidth to do a lot of things. And so but then, but in life, we could do that. But connection and there, the way in which people, there's a chemistry between people. Yeah. And aside from. Yeah, the, you don't invent that. Knowledge. It just no, happens. It happens. Yeah. That's correct. It is. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Um, I think that Canada experienced a bit of that in the election when when Justin got elected and here are some of the things you say he's warm invigorating youthful open inviting a man of conviction authentic honest with integrity mm-hmm. um, I think we got a lot of that in and then we bought into that in the election when he was elected but since then and, and quite recently uh, at least I think uh, I've been proven wrong in that regard. Sadly, uh, he's done nothing on the environment. But the targets that he's, he's got are, are pretty well the same as the Conservatives were before him. He's done nothing on election reform, which he promised he would do. He's done little on the Indigenous file. And the feminism that he's touted he fired two of his senior female cabinet uh, ministers who have a lot of integrity and principle. And that doesn't jive with what you've seen in him. So I'll say a couple of things. First of all, I can only relay to you and the readers our personal experience. The time we spent and what we what we did together, and the actual not just 
statements, but the demonstration of each of those, I saw it, we signed Paris Accord together, I take issue with you, we did Arctic no drilling, I take issue with you on the environment, you have a carbon tax going on, the only really major country of its size and next door, and not doing it without some political heat. And so I would say he's a leader on the environment in the world today, especially with a more conservative swing going on around the world. And I think he's a beacon out there. Second, in terms of uh, women, and look, I'm not going to get into the issues with these two women. I knew both of them, too. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, he is, a, he is as good a feminist leader as I've ever seen out there. He has demonstrated it in terms of his cabinet. He demonstrates it in terms of his behaviors that he has in the world. And I would compare him against any other world leader out there and tell you, hey, if he had to let go two men, you wouldn't say he's anti-men. And so I don't think no, I'm the issue I think is, they had principle and integrity. Yes, but and this isn't a feminist issue. This was an uh, issue that he had with those two individuals. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Let's wipe feminism off the, off yeah. the drawing board here and just call it their integrity and principle. I don't know what the... I'm not going to get into the details of that. I was not the sitting ambassador here, nor do I think it's a place for an American to be making those types of things. But I can tell you as an American who came up and worked with Justin Trudeau and worked with Sophie, these are genuine people who have a real heart and, and and a level of intellect and caring. And in the world today, there are few world leaders that are willing to take the stance that this government is on going to Saudi Arabia, even though the heat that they took in standing up for women, the way they stood up for women on the world stage, and they're taking heat for it alone, and they don't have the U.S. having their back the way the U.S. used to have their back, which is my issue with the United States of America. And so I think if you pause a minute and look, I will only tell you politics is one thing, governing is really hard because you have to balance things and you have have to to find you have to be pragmatic and darn it when you're pragmatic you got people on all sides coming at you why didn't you go over to that extreme why did you do that look from my seat back in chicago your economy's doing well you added a million jobs you've added carbon tax you care about women in the world you're standing up even to other nations doing it you, you, you're willing to stand up for your values at a time where liberal democracy is under threat in the world. Mm. And I don't vote. You guys all vote here. You'll make your own determination of the path Green you're party. going in. Green party. <laughs> they're not going to be the lead of this no, country. Um, and they end up being a spoiler effect when you have a third party. We, yeah. we experience that in our own country. And I, and I, and I love your leader of the of the Green Party in Parliament. She's a good friend, yeah, and I wouldn't say anything she, against. Just, yeah. So we developed a lot of good friendships sure. in Ottawa. And so, but I, I think if she was sitting here, she'd recognize she's not going to be the, you know, majority <laughs> government of the country. And maybe that's a stretch statement on my part. I'll go out on a limb and say that. But when in all reality... Women, when those two women go over to her party... There'll be three. And so you're... But that's not bad, and there's nothing wrong with no. that. But she, here's the deal. And this is really important. Mm-hmm. And while we had that relationship, 
the U.S.-Canada relationship rises above conservative versus liberal or Democrat versus Republican. You said that yourself. And it is not my place. And if you if you elect a conservative at some time in the future or a, another liberal or any or an NDP or anybody else yeah. for that matter, absolutely. the U.S.-Canada relationship should be rise above that. Well, and that's true. And what's happening in the United States today, over the last two years, I have a president who has overtly thrown Canada under the bus. He's done it verbally. He's threatened your autos industry. He put a tax on steel and aluminum that was uncalled for for national security. Had a retreat from it, by the way, which I'm just really recently, glad yeah. to see yeah. just recently. But this isn't about... This is just our story and how we experienced, you know, the people that we experienced. And I hope you can see it through our eyes. But the message is that regardless of who you elect this next year or the years into the future, 100 years from now, that we need to, as citizen ambassadors, all come together and fight for this relationship and preserve it against any threat that may show up. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we wrote the book. That's why we're on this podcast. We're sending a message Threat to encourage everybody. Or domestic. So, and Vicky's point is the following. I swore in as to take this ambassador role. It's an oath of office, but a swearing in to preserve and protect the Constitution of the United States against enemies, foreign and domestic. Guess what happens when you leave the ambassador role? You don't swear out. Like, hey, by the way, I know you swore in. It's not like checking a clock on a time shift or something. I view that as a lifetime. And in the United States, you get to keep your ambassador title for life. And I view that comes with responsibility. And I so... Did, sorry, I didn't introduce you. I did introduce you as ambassador, Bruce Heyman, I think. Former. You, you can introduce me any way you in want. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, and I'm not so stuck on it. Except it really helps in restaurant reservations. But <laughs> other than that... He's very stuck on it when he gets a restaurant So, But in, in all seriousness... I think we have a responsibility, and the greatest responsibility we have is as citizens. That's the most important role that we have in our democracy. That's, I think well, I think we're, sorry, we're fighting apathy. Look at the percentage exactly. of, of, of Americans and Canadians that just sit at home right. and don't get out and participate exactly. or vote even. And so you ask, like, why the book? Why do we need the book? Yeah. Well, you know... To do the book without a call to action, without an, a, a real galvanizing force for us, just would not really be ring true. So this book really is a call to action for people to join us as citizen ambassadors. And we end the book with the idea of, yes, we can. We can. We can all participate. And so one thing is, we're going on this roadshow and we're talking about the book. Um, there are purported to be over 600,000 Americans eligible to vote living in Canada. The U.S. government said that in 2016, there were 3 million eligible voters around the world that were expats, right, outside the United States. In Canada, 600,000. They said of all 3 million, the turnout was something like 9%. Like 9, nine yeah, hello. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know what it is specifically for Canada because I don't know if that statistic exists. But... Even if every single one of them who voted, was, which just didn't happen, was Canadian, it was only 
So my point is, and Vicky's point, and we're working yes, really hard right. on this, is that there's we, power in that. Vote. There's power in just Americans living here. It could be really close the next state. election in Michigan. It was really in close the last year in Minnesota. These are the battleground states, and so for Americans who are eligible to, who live in Canada, yeah. this should be a clarion call. Like if you don't like what's going on south of the border, exercise your right to vote. By not voting, you are also yeah. making a decision and. and, and Possibly driving the outcome. Yeah, yeah. And as much part of the problem, well, you're part yeah. of it. I mean, if Hillary had won one state, right, she yeah. would be president. So I think, but it's so it's it's about that. It's about it's about participating in the political system and in democracy, but it's also about using your time, your treasure, and your talent to lock arms across border and create a North America and a world we want to live in. So it's not only about voting, but it's acting as citizens and pushing on government or leading government oftentimes. And so it's a way for us to say like, listen, you know, if you're a writer, if you're an artist, if you're a business person, if you're a teacher, these are all your God-given skills. This is what you know. These are your tricks, these are your tools. Think outside of your occupation, think outside of your day-to-day. And this is the way in which we can move things forward. So Mm. it's trying to open up to We can have a more fulfilling life that way too, right? 100%. by participating in something larger than yourself. And I think that has been, which I hope we articulate in the book, I mean, that's been part of our learning journey in that, you know, we have approached our lives as a team, as a couple, but in very different ways, you know. And I think for Bruce, it was much more of a a straight line in terms of starting in a a career and then advancing kind of in a linear fashion. For Mm. me, it was having different kinds of roles and learning from each of those and leveraging those to the next space. But it's it's constantly pushing yourself to step outside your comfort zone and to meet new people and to learn new things and to be bold in your ideas and not wait. Because it's like, you know, the, the person that we're waiting for to change the world is right here. So it's being bold enough to say, you know, I can fail, I can make a mistake, I can make a fool out of myself, I may be wrong, but I'm trying. And I think sometimes people just need to be asked or to be given permission in a way to say, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to try and to fail. It's okay to put yourself out there and, and see what the ramifications are. And there are times like, you know, we don't know where this is going to go. We've been pretty bold in our... Yeah, that's how I want to sort of wind yeah. this down, if I could. And that is uh, to talk about how you've gone about marketing this or getting people to read it. So what have you done? What have we done? <laughs> about everything and it's Simon and Schuster, right? Yes. It's, Simon Schuster, Canada. The, the yeah. Art of Diplomacy. So, yeah, Simon Schuster Canada. Which is an amazing, amazing incredible publisher who mm-hmm. came to us and had faith and confidence in us to go down this path. They have been our, our collaborators, our Educators. Friends, they our taught educators. us. We knew nothing about this yeah. process. Well, you, you but had here's a story what we've to tell, right? We had yes. a story to tell. So we, and we had to go to them. And originally they said, okay, we're going to launch this in Toronto. I says, no, we're not. No, 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 no. We're, we're launching this book in Ottawa. And that's has to be where we launched yeah. the book. 
That's what and, you got. That's the, and we, we need to do it in the National Gallery because That's the National the Gallery artists. is where we brought the artists. The National Gallery is where I gave a big speech. The National Gallery is looks at the windows look out at the Embassy and Parliament. This is this is, this is the where place. We created. This yeah. is yeah. where we had to be. So we had four hundred people show okay. up at the National Gallery for opening night for the launch. For the launch. Okay. We then went from there to Kingston's Writer Fest. Oh, yeah. We then went to Toronto. We did Globe, um, and, Globe and Mail, and we did Rotman's Rotten. Business uh, School. What do you mean you did the Globe and Mail? We did these they, events. They so we interviewed you. Yeah. It was an open event where we were interviewed for subscribers. Several hundred people showed up and got a book and okay. at the Globe and Mail headquarters. We then traveled to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland for our U.S. launch. We Why then <laughs> well, there was a conference on the Council of the Great Lakes. And the Council of the Great Lakes has a conference every year, and it goes back and forth, U.S. to Canada, although I pitched them to stay in the U.S. one more year and come back to <laughs> Chicago. But um, a great guy, Mark Fisher, who is, who is just passionate about the whole economic region of the Great Lakes and um, has pulled and tugged on me to be helpful, and it was easy to do because it was, it I'm so was enthusiastic. I'm such a good guy. This- Coming together, Coming together. The borderless Great Lake region, uh-huh. premiers and governors, business leaders, artists, etc. And so he, he had his conference there. And so the only time I would ever be on the stage with Vicky at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was to introduce so this book. You, you didn't play the music then? No, I couldn't even play Spoons. But uh, <laughs> so, and we went to Washington. We did the uh, Kennedy Institute, the Wilson Center. We did Politics mm-hmm. and Prose, the iconic yeah. bookstore. Yeah. And we did a did it there. We went to New so, York. Was and this all like? Did you work together you with Simon with, Schuster? Yes. You said these are the things that we want to do. Or they came, they, they yeah. sort of say this is where you should go, or so maybe you would want to consider it. Good question. Because they many some of the places that they recommended that they had entrees to, they suggested, and some of them we had to put our own relationships forward to get these events to happen. Yeah. But they were wonderful in following. I up. would say the Writers Fest and book bookstores that we're going to and are experiencing are not things that we normally would have had connectivity to. But the organizations like Canada 2020 or the Canada Institute or the Council of the Great Lakes or some of these things, these were these were institutions that we were affiliated with in one way, shape, or form or another. So we had, like, you're calling favors from everybody, yeah, right? Yeah. So we oh, just in, did in, the in Chicago... Vancouver, we're doing an event at Emily Carr's house. No, oh, Victoria, yeah. Victoria. Excuse me, Victoria. Victoria. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Vancouver, we're doing an event at, at Bob Rennie's art gallery. Art gallery. And in Victoria, excuse me, Victoria, we're doing an event at Emily Carr's house. So we're keeping true to our origin and... The communities that we're gathering are gathering, you know, both in this political space and the art space. So I think we've done a pretty good job as lay authors, you know, not yeah. lay authors, for some authors and getting. Well, you're connected, really. Yes. You're connected, connected and you're, you're cultivating your connections. But what we'd love to learn. We're using the hive. Yeah, but what we'd love to we're learn. We're using every part of the hive right now. And, but I think, you know. I mean, I when I would love, what we'd love to learn from your listeners and from you and from others who are part of this podcast is. You know, getting out of your concentric circles. Yeah. How do you translate these events into sales? How do you get out with word of mouth? How do we get people to understand the depth and breadth of what the Art of Diplomacy book writ large is? And that is a very, for us, like a new experience and very organic. And we're trying to get a pulse on how do you make a book 
come alive to readers outside the traditional spaces. So, you know, be really open, and I don't know exactly how your listeners will communicate with you, but if they can communicate directly with us. We're on Twitter Twitter and Facebook and and everything. Come Um, to us directly and just send us a message or send us what you think of the book. What are the Twitter handles? Uh, uh, Bruce A. Heyman, at Bruce A. Heyman. H e y m a n, and I'm at v shay v s h e y on Twitter. Okay. So I mean, they can just Google our names and they'll find the handles. But we're both active on Twitter, um, on Instagram, and on Facebook. What about sorry the well, it's kind of obvious, but there's a bunch of universities that have Canada studies programs. I imagine you've. We, have, we, have, we haven't done, we haven't done much as that much as, we as that. We should do yeah, that. Yeah. I don't know how many there are, but yeah. there certainly are and many bet programs we, yeah. that study Canada in the States. Well, I, yeah. did, I think Duke University has a program in Canadian Studies. They do. I remember mm-hmm. engaging with them when we were living here in Ottawa. So yeah. there are many, and then many universities back in the States that, you know, global affairs and yeah. uh, government affairs are part of their curriculum. Hmm. So, you know, I think it would be interesting as an in, in an academic setting because the book is not academic. It's accessible. No, no, no. It's and a, it's real. It's a charming story. And I think is. that's a great way for pe- for real people to learn real things rather than having it in a really kind of this kind of lofty ac- academic model. Yeah, it's very accessible. It's a good cottage read. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> well, out west it's a cabin read. Cabin read. A cabin read. Yeah, okay. Well, either way, cottage or cabin, either good. side of the border. Very good. That's one thing we did love about Canada, man. And I said to Bruce, it's like, I've never been to a place where cottaging and having a cottage, no matter where you, what demographic that you're living in, no matter what part of the country you're living in, this idea of living on the land, the opportunity to, there is so much land and there's so much water in this country, the opportunity to have that accessible to you really in an affordable way is so extraordinary. We don't have that in our country in the same way, you know? Mm. So um, that was such a wonderful opportunity for us to get to experience those kinds of cottages and cabins and kayaking. Loons making noise at night. Yeah, it was pretty great, pretty great. Any other uh, thoughts on the book? You know, we've been married 39 years. (laughs) and I would say and we've done a lot of things together (laughs) worked together on things family etc it's the most concentrated period of time we've ever I mean we wrote a book together chapter by chapter you know and you had to weave it together so my voice Vicky's voice my voice Vicky's voice we wrote one chapter yeah but we worked together together on each of our chapters even though it was in my voice because she go that doesn't sound like you or that you'd never say that. Or I didn't do that. Don't you don't dare say like that. that. <laughs> don't describe me that way. And so we we so would still go, together though. I it see. was still together. Oh, that. we're still together. Yeah, that. we're yeah. still together. And it's not like a renovation then. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> it could be. There were days. Yeah. So it was so funny. Like there were days that people would say, "So what? What did you do?" So we we have to go out for a walk. Alone, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I said, so, night, so, how did you manage this? I said, a lot of walks. <laughs> alone, and I said, as long as she turned around at some point and walked back, we're good. We're good. Yeah, but it's I been think, great, 
And it was an amazing experience for the two of us. And this part now, going out and telling the story and our stories is just something... It's really magic. It's magic. It's really fun and it's really important. And we feel like it's it's really with purpose. And because it's with purpose, it's not only is fun, but it's fulfilling. And um, we don't think that, you know, we think that we're just kind of people that we do things and then we see what happens. So... I think more and more conversations will come from this, mm-hmm. and I think I hope more and more people galvanize around this idea of citizen ambassadorship and act on it. And if we, in the year of 2019 and 2020, as we approach our next election, can be champions of that on both sides of the border, man, that's what we hope to do. Well, thank you very much thank for you, a Rachel. fun, fulfilling conversation. It was uh, great Good. to talk to you. Great chat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ambassador Bruce Heyman served as United States Ambassador to Canada under President Barack Obama from 2014 until 2017. Vicki Heyman was an American cultural envoy in Canada leading cross-border conversations and programming related to the arts, social innovation, and youth engagement. Thanks again. Thank you. Bruce Heyman served as the United States Ambassador to Canada under President Barack Obama from 2014 until 2017. He appears regularly on CBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg, CTV, CNBC, and other media outlets. As an expert on trade and bilateral issues, Bruce lives in Chicago with his wife and co-author, Vicki Heyman. Vicki was an American cultural envoy to Canada, leading cross-border conversations and programs related to the arts, social innovation, and youth engagement. She is on the board of the Council for Canadian American Relations, Chicago Media Project, and the International Advisory Board of C2 Montreal. Vicky also lives in Chicago, where she and Bruce are co-founders of Uncharted LLC. We met in Montreal for this Bibliophile Podcast Conversation.